the next 2-2. Davis to left and well hit! Oh my! It's gone! Santa Maria! Oh my goodness. A magical moment in Cleveland. Baseball, I think, is as healthy as it's ever been. The rules changes were great. My only complaint with the rules changes is that it took too doggone long, but the product was starting to suck. Yeah. And we can't have uh you know, we can't have three true outcome at bats every time someone steps up to the plate. If you had the chance to have a beer with your favorite baseball player, what would you talk about? Would you ask the same tired questions like every reporter after the game? How did you feel? What was going through your mind? Yada, yada, yada. Probably not. It's time you hear the stories that these players have never told. This is the Setup Man Podcast, where we have conversations that every fan wants to hear and the stories that every player and coach deserve to share. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Setup Man podcast. And before we get started today, I do want to let you know that from now until November 1st, so we only have about a week left on this, you can earn a hat or shirt from the Setup Man of your choice. I'm wearing both right now. Here is the Setup Man shirt and check out that hat. Yeah, a lot of people have been giving me compliments, not only about um, how they look, but also how they feel for a workout buddy of mine I was just talking to today he's like I wear that hat to every single workout another buddy of mine actually sent me a video of himself walking his dog the other day with the shirt on and he's like this is one of the most comfortable shirts I have so if you are all about swag and you want to get a hat or shirt or maybe even both for free all you have to do is these three things number one review us on Apple or Spotify or subscribe and leave a comment on YouTube so one of those three review on Apple, review on Spotify, or subscribe and leave a comment on YouTube. Number two, you're going to take a screenshot of you doing that. So if you just left a review on Apple, you're going to take that screenshot. And then your number three, going to email it to me, Kyle at setupman.net. Kyle at setupman.net. That will automatically give you a free hat or shirt. You're not going to be putting a drawing. You're not going to be putting any sort of raffle. You're going to get that free hat or shirt just by doing that, but it ends November 1st. So if you're listening to this right now, as we're releasing this at the end of October, you're definitely going to want to do this right away. Now, as for this episode, this is week number two of our four-week broadcaster series. This week is Matt Vaskersian. You may know him from MLB The Network, where he's one of the top anchors over there, or maybe you're going to recognize his voice from MLB The Show. We had Boog Shambi on the show last week. He's the new voice of MLB The Show, but Matt Vaskersian was the voice for, God, I mean, 15 years, something like that. Um, so I got to work with Matt side by side, and I, I mean, I've got some stories. Some of them I can share on here, some of them I can't, but one of the stories that I loved about working with Matt was I was an aspiring broadcaster. I was in college. I was 20, 21 years old at the time. And I was the head radio guy for our college team for baseball. And I had been recording a lot of stuff and I put it into a tape and I kind of, you know, felt guilty asking him, but I, I said, could you take a listen to my tape? And believe it or not, not only did he listen to it, but he sat down with me for an hour before a game started and he just gave me all of his thoughts on, on my tape. He told me all of these things, and especially one of those things was if you feel like you have a gap in your knowledge 
about some aspect of the sport, whether it's the 1927 Yankees or if it's the transition from 154 games to 162 games and what that what the history was behind that, whatever you feel like that gap is, read about it. Educate yourself. The more you can educate yourself, the better student of the game you are and the better broadcaster you are because you're a walking encyclopedia. And those were the things that really stuck with me. So you know, just just a great guy, a very, very intelligent person, and you will hear a student of the game. We talk about Shohei and Mike Trout, as he is now one of the head anchors and head, uh, I should say, the head announcers for the Los Angeles Angels. We talk about the new rules. We talk about his thoughts on obscene contracts that are being signed right now. And just really overall is a conversation about the current state of baseball, a really fun one that I am glad that you get to listen into. So let's get to it right now with Matt Vaskersian on the Setup Man podcast. So I got to start with a fun fact, and I, I just want to fact check here really quick because this is uh, Wikipedia telling me that you were in the Screen Actors Guild when you were seven years old, and then in college you won a dating show and won a trip to Colorado and uh, Telluride. Is that right? Yeah, that's on my Wikipedia page. That's Jeez, on your Wikipedia it. page. <laughs> Thank you, Wikipedia, for the what, the most pertinent detail in, in in my 55 years on planet Earth is that I I went uh, on the dating game and won a trip to tell you right. Yeah, there you go. Good way to start this show off, right? <laughs> so, uh, Matt, I'm uh, I'm just excited to have you on because of really the knowledge that you bring, and you've been in the game for 26 years spanning over four different decades, not to make you feel old, but man, you are, you know, exactly uh, where this game is at. And I'm excited to have a, a talk with you today, just about the state of baseball and hearing your opinion and, and, you know, working with you and with the Padres, I know that you've got some strong opinions too, and I'm just looking to have some, some fun with this today, but I, I want to start closest to home, man, you are with the angels now and the angels are a really interesting team with the top two, arguably the top two baseball players in this decade uh, on the same team with Trout and Otani. And I just want to know, like, the the few years that you've been there, what's been the most impressive thing about covering, especially those two guys? There's so much there. Uh, by the way, I'm not wearing a New Balance logo to give Shohei an extra pop here. That it just worked <laughs> out that way. Um, you know, I think the thing that strikes me with Mike is that uh, – you know, consensus choice, one of the best players to ever play. Mm -hmm. He's a, you know, drop dead Hall of Famer if he stopped playing right now. Um, and I don't think I've ever been around a more down to earth, super duper star than nice. Mike Trout. He is as humble and genuine uh, as it gets. And if you meet his parents, you understand why, right? Cool. We're all kind of products of how we're raised. Uh, and Mike's mom and dad are just super down to earth, nice people. And Mike didn't fall too far off that tree. You know, we're in Denver right now. And um, uh, one of the local reporters that covers the Rockies, who I'd never met previously, we were sharing notes. Uh, and she said that there was a kind of a scrum of reporters around Mike's locker because the mm -hmm. Angels, you know, until the balanced schedule came about, they hadn't traveled here very often. Right. This okay. was uh one of a very few trips they've made here, uh, 18 games prior to this series in Denver for the Angels. So it was a unique thing for Mike to be in Denver. And this scrum of reporters was around his locker, and none of them knew Mike personally. So nobody was really sure or confident how to open the discussion with him and say hello. And Mike kind of came over sheepishly and said, how's it going, guys? You waiting for me? Like, yeah, we're waiting for you. You're Mike Trout. <laughs> what, right? what a surprise, right? 
yeah, three-time MVP, but he did it genuinely. There's no false humility there with him. So I think beyond what you see on the stat sheet and what you see when you watch him play, what strikes me about him is just what a good dude he is. Um, Was Shohei a little harder to get to know personally because of a little bit of a language barrier, obviously, Mm -hmm. but you know, his English is, is good enough for him to communicate with his teammates and his teammates love him. And I'll say this about Otani, man. I know that a lot of old schoolers might not like this comp, but we're past the Babe Ruth thing with Mm -hmm. him. Yeah. He's better than Babe Ruth. Yeah. He's better than Babe Ruth. His totals, uh, doing it on both sides of the scorecard eclipse what Ruth was able to do at the peak of his powers. And I think by the time Shohei's done, who knows when that's going to be, we might call him the best baseball player to ever live. And again, the old school guys aren't going to want to hear that. They're going to want to hear DiMaggio, Musial, Ruth, Garrick, et cetera. What he's doing on both sides of the scorecard is uh, it's you can't describe the skill set. And just when you think that he's going to take a day off after pitching seven innings with 12 punch outs, as he did in Arlington earlier this month, uh, and you think maybe the next day, if it's a day game after a night game and he went double duty uh, on that night game and pitched and hit, maybe he's going to be out of the lineup. He's never out of the lineup. It's not an option for him. And a lot of this is cultural. I'm convinced the work ethic that's been instilled in him from where he grew up and how he grew up is different than it is for a lot of pro athletes in a lot of countries, not just in the U S. So I, again, we got a little time left. There's a lot of canvas left on his career, but by the time he's done, we might call Shohei Otani the greatest baseball player to ever live. Well, and without having the stats in front of me, isn't it true that Babe Ruth really only pitched for a couple of years, a few years to begin with? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we talk about him as a two-way player, but that didn't happen for only a small percentage of his career. Very true. Um, he didn't He didn't sustain yeah. what Shohei's doing. And again, like this has been a, a relatively short burst for Shohei because he missed some time after he came here with surgeries. Um, but man, if, if, if you get another few years like this, you, you got a hard time arguing with me that there's anybody that's ever been better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I love that story about Trout. Do you have any sort of behind the scenes story about Otani like Trout? He seem, he comes across as a very like polite and courteous guy on camera. Do you get the same thing in the locker room? Yeah, he's, uh, you know, I'm not in the locker room with him as a teammate, so I don't see him interacting with his teammates the way his teammates would. Um, but all of his interactions with us, with guys that cover the team and people that are with the team, whether it's media relations or media, they're all very, very much the same, uh, very polite, very respectful. Um, there's no, there's no big league in him, right? Mm-hmm. He is, as we described on a different level than just about any human that's ever played this game. So if anybody could get away with being aloof or standoffish or, um, you know, it's in some way less than perfect with fans. He could he could do that because he's on a different level, but he's not. He's pretty, pretty humble guy. Keeps to himself. Uh, I don't have any real insightful. Hey, yeah. you know, there was this time Shohei and I were hanging sure. out having lunch stories because I don't have that kind of relationship with him. Sure. I don't think anybody does outside the players. And that's OK, because everybody still really respects him and, and appreciates what he does. What do you think that contract's going to look like? There's so much speculation. I'm hearing 500 mil, 600 mil. Uh, and really, you know, do you think it's about the money? 
for Shohei because when he picked the Angels, right, a lot of that was just about his convenience of being able to get back to his hometown uh, and having a direct flight. So do you think a lot of it has to do with location as well? Just what what are some of your thoughts on on the upcoming contract? Yeah, I mean, I think it does. There, there are people that have different opinions on this, and I'm not saying this with any insight at all. Um, but I think he likes being on the West Coast. Yeah. Um, I don't know that New York is a perfect place for him. I know he has an appreciation for Boston because he's dominated there. He's had some amazing <laughs> performances at Fenway Park. I just feel like he's a West Coast guy, uh, and there's enough sizzle on the West Coast now up and down the coast from Seattle to San Diego to where, you know, if somebody's willing to pay the price, um, I could see him staying on the West coast. And that's that, that includes the angels, by the way, everybody seems to think that he's going to sign someplace else. I'm not that convinced. I don't think anybody really knows at this point. Well, especially with the year the angels are having, obviously we're recording this in June. I'm pretty sure this is going to be released uh, towards the end, if not after the season. So, you know, it's still to be seen if he's still wearing an angels Jersey by the end of the year, but, um, you know, I, I know Mike Trout at the beginning of the year said, hey, you know, let's make the playoffs to keep Otani around. Um, do you think that also looms large with his decision, just the success of the team? Yeah, I think it would have to. You know, I think everybody's pretty clear on that. Like, um, you know, a winning season, a, a postseason year, that that would probably help. Um, but again, nobody really knows what the calculus is going to be. Is he going to look for simply the biggest paycheck? Is he a creature comfort guy? Because if he is, the Angels have a better chance of retaining him. Um, I, there's there's so many things that are in play here, and I'm not at liberty to speculate on sure. length or value of a contract. It's going to be huge. That's all I know. It's it's going to be jaw dropping as it should as it it really should be based on his talent. I've got a theory, um, and you know, you being with the Angels, especially last year, they were expected with Trout and Otani healthy to be a, you know, a playoff performance team. And they didn't get anywhere close to that. I've got a theory that when you have players on the team that are bigger than the sport, right. When you've got the top guys, some to say that they're going to be the best, like you said, to ever play the sport. When you have players like that, that are bigger than the sport that sometimes that doesn't equate to the right kind of chemistry in the locker room or it becomes so much where the reporters are following these guys rather than just focusing on the team that maybe that impacts a little bit of the, you know, what's going on um, in that locker room. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Do you, have you ever thought about that as well? Just kind of looking back at all the teams that have won the world series and, you know, there's not a whole lot that have just that one big superstar. There seems to be a lot more balance. Uh, I think that's the key word balance. And I don't, I don't know if having one or two superstars, you know, works against the team dynamic. I, I don't know about that. I see why you would kind of go down that road in your mind. Um, but it's about not only balance on the field, it's about payroll balance, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at a team like the Mets this year, their highest paid players have been their most infrequent contributors to what they do to win. And the guys that are really responsible for them winning when they do win are, you know, they've got a rookie catcher. They've got a young third baseman. They've got a first baseman who hasn't made his money yet. Those are the guys that make them win. It hasn't been the heavy payroll starting pitching that they imported. 
It hasn't been the Lindor contract. I mean, those guys are super duper stars and Hall of Famers. Yep. But the balance has to work. And in an ideal world, uh, you've got the highest paid players being the biggest contributors to winning. But it doesn't always work that way, right? Because baseball uh, is such that uh, because the union is as powerful as it is, that you end up as a team paying for the back of a guy's baseball card. Mm-hmm. You're not projecting value. And that's why what the Braves are doing with these deals that they cut with Acuna, Albies, um, and, and everybody else, Olsen, yes. Murphy, um, they've been great deals because you're paying for the performance that you're going to get in the future, not what's already been accomplished. And it's yeah. it's a mistake that teams have made for years and years and years. Yep. I totally agree. Um, I want to transition a little bit just over to the state of baseball right now. And especially from a fan's perspective, um, you know, the last five years, even before COVID right in 18 and 19 attendance has been down Um, being at the forefront and you being in baseball since 97, is there changes that you've seen or any opinions that you have about why you think attendance has been down as of recently? Uh, well, that's news to me that attendance is down. Is that the case this year? I, this year, it's slight, see... this year, slightly up this year is back up, but though it was 18, 19 was down, uh, 20 and 21, obviously we just kicked those out, but 2022 yeah. was even down. We were in the close to 70 millions across all of baseball. And now this year, the last five years has been more in the mid sixties. So, well, I, I do have some thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think because we hear it on the TV side all the time, right. Sure. And you, I just can't stand the narrative that, Oh, world series ratings are down record yeah. lows. More people watched in 1985. Well, no kidding. Yeah. There were fewer things to watch. Yeah. And there were more people that were hyper-focused on, on the jewel events for all four major North American team sports leagues. It's, it's just the reality of it. People are distracted now with other things. People are consuming baseball more than ever before. And mm-hmm. in order to get that whole number, you have to add TV ratings to baseball's platforms on social media. Um, the way people tweet, Instagram, TikTok, and post about baseball, the way people consume baseball on MLB.com, on their phones, on their apps, on their desktops. It's hard to get those real numbers because we understand what a real TV rating is, but that doesn't tell the whole story. And I, I don't want to sound like an apologist for the league, but it's really true. People are consuming baseball differently. It's mm-hmm. just like when we, as people in 2023, lament the lost art of reading right? right. Oh, people aren't reading as much as they are. They are. People are still reading, but they're getting that stuff fed to them differently. It's not put a quarter into the machine and buy a newspaper. It's you're reading things online. You're, you're still reading. It just, it just looks different than it did yeah. even 10 years ago. So baseball, I think, is as healthy as it's ever been. The rules changes were great. My only complaint with the rules changes is that it took too doggone long. Because, look, I've been barking about legislating against the shift for years, and I'm among many that have. But, I, you know, we have an off-season talk show on MLB Network called Hot Stove, and we're on in the mornings, and I get it. We're, you know, we're running counter to college football and NFL season, so only true baseball fans are on us. Uh, and even those guys, a lot of them are sleeping because we're on in the morning. But we spend an inordinate amount of time every off-season griping about the shift. It, it's brilliant. If you're constructing a roster – during those rules years and you want to, you know, come up with the best run prevention team possible, 
then yeah, the shift is great. Those metrics help winning. They don't necessarily help in the entertainment value of the sport. So when the league gets together and they try to think of ways to make the the, the product more interesting, mm-hmm. a lot of the people that came up with those things push back because, hey, this is our strategy to help us win. The Brewers come to mind, right? The Brewers are a mid-market team, small market team, if you will. And th- one of their advantages was they did things a little smarter. So they could win on the margins with things like, the shift because they couldn't afford to go sign Aaron judge. Right. So they have to do things differently. You take that away and they get hacked off. Well, sorry, but the product was starting to suck. Yeah. And we can't have, uh, you know, we can't have three true outcome at bats every time someone steps up to the plate. We can't have games where nobody's running. So with, with the shift, it took away athleticism. There's no ball in the gap. There's nobody going first to third. There's no hit and run anymore. That stuff has been fixed with these rules changes. I, I think the one I was real kind of hesitant to, to accept was legislating the number of throws to first base. Pitch sure. clock, good. Yeah. But when you tell me you can only throw to first base two times, um, I, I didn't like that at first, but it's been fine. And, yeah. and the proof's in the pudding. Stolen bases are up. Attempts are up, and yep. it's pretty dramatic. But stolen base percentage is only up marginally. It's not up as much as you'd think. So it has not led to this run wild landscape. Like these rules changes are good. And I don't know of anybody that disagrees with that. There were some players initially that were reluctant to accept this stuff. Um, Pitch clock, batter clock. Matt Carpenter of the Padres was outspoken. And and I have a lot of respect for Matt because he's not only a good dude, but he's a really good veteran player. Mm -hmm. And he said, you're telling the you're telling the 750 best players in the world who've done it a certain way for years that they have to change overnight. He made a good point, but they changed. Yeah, they did. Everybody's adapted. Well, and that was kind of where I wanted to go next. You know, you saw Tim Anderson probably whispering to Jose Abreu about like, "Hey, I hate the the pitch clock." And then Max Scherzer has always been outspoken. So, but you're you're hearing from the players aside from just a few that this has overall been a good thing? Is that the major consensus? It is. Okay, um, I know that there are moments where a guy gets called on a pitch clock violation and he sure. curses the day these new rules were ever put into effect, yeah. but you've only got 15 seconds to get over it and deliver another pitch. Yeah. So the, the short-term memory stuff really applies here. And I think uh, players understand this is the new landscape. It is a better product. And it's for the greater good. Now let's talk about the transition with the roles of starting pitchers and relievers. Um, You know, over the last 20 years, I feel like, you know, 15 years ago, it was not unheard for a guy like Greg Maddox to go out and throw 10 complete games in a year. Right. And now um, you get a guy like Sandy Alcantara, who was just like on a whole new level last year with complete games. And I still think he only had like five or six. Um, the, the role of a starting pitcher for a traditionalist baseball fan, I, I miss seeing the complete games. I miss seeing the shutouts. I, I feel like though there was about a five or six year span. And I think about, especially the world series with the Rays and the Dodgers where Blake Snell was taken out right after five innings of one hit ball or, or something along those lines. And, and I think about that, that was like at its peak of just like, Hey, third time through the lineup, we're not putting starting pitchers anymore. I feel like this year we're getting back to maybe a, a healthy balance of that. Um, 
what what are your thoughts just on what you've seen of this evolution? And are you more of the traditionalist or are you more of like, hey, I want to just see whoever can go out there and throw a zero up on the board? Yeah, no, I mean, that's where I'll consider myself an old schooler. Yeah. Uh, I do. I like you miss the days where a guy could potentially finish what he started. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. I had an MLB network telecast in Houston. Uh, not too long ago was the Mets in Houston and Max Scherzer was as good as he's been ever. He was great. He was brilliant at the age of 38 with three Cy Youngs on his shelf. He still can do it. And he dominated for, oh man, was it, did he go eight or seven? But there was, there was no reason he couldn't have finished Mm. other than the fact that, you know, he was at 90 something pitches and it's just not in the calculus anymore for a guy to finish a game unless he gets to the ninth with, you know, fewer than 75 pitches, which is hard to do. Right. I, I, more so than, than lamenting the loss of the complete game. It's, it's the rock star starter that I miss. Right. Mm. When I was a kid going to games, I would look at a series, I would look at probables and I would pick the game I wanted to go to or watch based on the matchup. Now you get TBA versus TBA. Yeah. Because uh, team X is going to a six man rotation this week. Team Y is using an opener in uh, two of the five days this week because they're getting a the guy an extra day. Um, the days of, you know, opening up the newspaper and seeing, uh, you know, Randy Johnson versus Chris Carpenter or whomever, we go back farther for even more scintillating matchups. Like those days are harder to find now. Yeah. Rockstar starters are are scarce. That's why having, you know, Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander on the same Mets rotation is appealing when both of those guys are healthy because it, there aren't many guys like that anymore. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it gets down to like the way baseball is taught and developed and you're, you know, you have uh, pitchers that are learning to go max effort as hard as they can, as much as they can until they hit the wall instead of, learning how to conserve and the craft of getting through an order a third time, getting your team into the seventh inning differently than the way you got through the first three innings. Like those nuances are, are harder to find now. And I'm not mad about it or blaming anybody for it. It's just the reality of the way, the way baseball is now. Yeah, I, I completely agree. What about on the other side with relievers? I mean, you know, it, it seems like, again, going back to, to 15, 20 years ago, if you had one guy throwing over 94, 95, he's probably your closer. Now that's lucky to be a sixth or seventh inning man. Um, do you like the extra velocity? Do you think it really brings more excitement to the game? Where are you at on that? Well, I mean, I've always liked watching craftsmen. I've always mm-hmm. liked watching guys that can, you know, manipulate a, an off-speed pitch or guys that can spin it to get swing and miss. I like that kind of guy, but you know, the velo guys are here to stay and yeah. it, it really is. It's just the growth of the sport, right? You could have the same conversation around the NFL and the NBA. Um, guys run faster. Uh, guys jump higher. Guys throw harder in baseball now. It's just the evolution of it. So it's not a bad thing. Um, you know, when Felix Bautista comes out of the bullpen, he's throwing 99 or Chapman's throwing 102. Uh, hitters are also better too. So it, you know, the, the skill level increase is commensurate on both sides of the scorecard. It makes it just a little inter- more interesting, uh, but we do take it for granted. You know, the fact that people throw harder now than ever before. Absolutely. All right. Um, this year, just the stupid amount of 
major contracts over the off season was crazy. Um, you know, Aaron judge 360 for nine years, Machado getting his 350 million extension, the, the shortstops getting, uh, you know, Trey Turner and Bogarts, for example, getting the 10, 11 year deals of 300 million or right around there. Um, do you think this is, if it feels to me, Matt, like it's these teams saying, Hey, we're going to give you an obscene amount of money for 10 years, but we really only expect you to be good for the next five or six. And we'll just deal with it for the last four years. Do you think that's good for the sport? Uh, I, you know, if that's in fact the mentality, um, I could see why somebody would say no. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I try not to, I don't really want to put myself into the mind or body of an owner who chooses to spend his or her money the way they do. Mm-hmm. And if somebody wants to break off a, an 11 year contract for a 31 year old shortstop, good for the shortstop, yeah. right? I'm, I'm all for guys earning what they can earn. Um, the, the problem is, and it's happened in the past with teams where those contracts get to the point where the books are sideways for years and years and years. Yeah. Um, you know, the Diamondbacks needed a, a little help from the league going back a lot of years now, uh, two, three ownerships ago when they still wore the purple and teal because some of those, some of those numbers just didn't work anymore. And it, it was fine. League helped out and it, it, it was okay. Um, I, I, is it good for the game? I don't know. I think it's good for the game when stars wear the same uniform yeah. for a long time. So I'll take the glass half full end of that. I do like what you said earlier, though, about paying players for what they haven't accomplished yet, like what the Braves really focus on versus these teams that are paying guys for what they've already done. Um, Putting finances aside, do you think that's a bigger reason why the books get sideways because of that mentality rather than just the number that gets put on the contract? Well, I I think the appeal is such for for you know, owners that want to not only win, but they want to provide this sizzle kind of roster for, for fans to consume. It's, it's intoxicating. You know, you have a chance to sign a super duper star and the courtship process is two ways, right? The agent is courting the team the same way the team is courting the owner. And, uh, you know, the presentations that a lot of agents make are very powerful, um, complete with, you know, here are some some reasons beyond just what this guy does on the field, why he would be of value on your roster. So, I, you know, there's there's a lot to that. You know, landing superstars is a big deal. Look at the Giants this offseason, right? Um, they swung and missed on a few guys. Yep. Um, bridesmaids for a few guys, if you will. But they're having a pretty nice run this Absolutely. year. Are they Are they as sexy as they would have been if they had Correa and Judge in the lineup? Would, you know, all the broadcasters, would Fox be there every Saturday for them if they had those guys? Probably. Um, they're good and a little more anonymous this year. So, you know, what what are we after? Are we after a collection of superstars that are going to make for good TV and sell a lot of jerseys? Or are we trying to win? You got to think of it this way, too. If you're the Mets and the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Cubs, you know, the bigger market teams. They don't they don't have that latitude with their fan base and their market to say, all right, we're in a three year rebuild. That's right. not acceptable there. You, they have to if they're going to rebuild, they have to rebuild on the fly and try to win at the same time. The Yankees did it a few years ago when they made a couple of trades uh, with the Guardians and they brought up Gary Sanchez and he went nuts and they got Chapman and then they got Chapman. But like they, they were able to kind of 
retool the, 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 the roster and stay winning. But for the most part, those teams can't do, they can't ask for that kind of largesse from their fans, the way the pirates can, the way the reds can, the reds have been terrible the last few years. And it's really nice to see their drafts paying off and their young nucleus come together this year in a, in a, you know, much needed winning season for a market that's pretty good for baseball. Yeah. But not every, not every market's like Cincinnati, you know, the Mets and Yankees can't do that. The Dodgers can't do that. Absolutely. All right. I've got one more question before we get to our lightning round. Um, you have talked about how you've been rallying for the shift and it finally, or the shift being eliminated and it finally came about. What else are you wanting to see? Have you been rallying for anything else? Is there a certain rule or certain thing that you've been pushing and really want to see major league baseball take action on? I think it's time for um, regionalizing divisions a little bit better. Mm. I mean, luckily we're not in a place that we were some whatever 30, 35 years ago where the Dodgers and the Braves were both in the NL West. <laughs> you know, right. what, what is that? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that was the case back in the day. I still think there's a way to fix it. The problem is kind of where I am now in this mountain time zone area. What do you do? You know, where do you put the Rockies? Um, the Astros and Rangers are interesting. You'd like to have them in the same division, but with whom uh, they, they occupy that division is a good question. But if there is a way to kind of really cut up the country, truly regionalize the league, I think that would be pretty cool. I think it'd be cool. uh, something that would captivate some fans too. Okay. I like it, man. All right. Time for our rapid fire lightning round segment. It's called the 27th out. You ready for this, Matt? Let's do it. All right. What is your favorite pregame meal? Uh, anything carbohydrate rich. The four major food groups are rice, pasta, bread, and um, cereal. So awesome. any one of those things. Yeah. Awesome. What's a, a pregame ritual as a broadcaster that you have um, that maybe not many people know about? Mm. Oh, em empty wow. the bladder. <laughs> That's constant. That's constant. <laughs> at, at the age of 55, it happens more frequently than ever. Um, probably some sort of caffeine intake in the Damn. 15 or so minutes before we shoot the open, just to make sure the synapses are firing properly. Like it. Who is your favorite player of all time? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Uh, I would have to say uh, Campy Campanaris, shortstop for the three-time World Series champion Oakland A's in 72, 73, and 74. But there's that. so many others. Yeah. yeah. How about right now? Who's your favorite player right now? Oh, boy. Uh, Trout, Justin Turner. I mean, there's so many guys that I like watching. Those are the first two names that pop yeah. into my brain just because they're both good dudes and great players. That's good. Yeah. Who's been your favorite person it could be a player it could be a coach to interview in this sport in your time that you've been around well my very first job in baseball was working for the cubs in their lowest level minor league team in yeah. huntington west virginia in the early 90s and one of their roving outs outfield instructors was the legendary jimmy pearsall when he hit his 100th home run he ran the bases backwards because he was <laughs> out there um, he spent some time in a psychiatric home during his playing career. 
He had a movie wow. made about his life and times. Uh, the movie in, in the movie, his, his character was played by uh, Anthony Perkins and Jimmy wow. hated it. Uh, he was <laughs> outspoken. He was brash. He was crude. He was all the things that make somebody interesting to interview. Being a broadcaster, was there a favorite broadcaster or someone that you modeled your craft after? Nobody I modeled my craft after, you know, I was a kid growing up in Northern California, listened to Bill King do all three sports up there. Mm -hmm. uh, the A's Raiders and Warriors. I don't think there's ever been anybody better. He didn't really influence my style because I couldn't be as articulate as he was. Um, when I listened to early tapes of my first years doing this in the minor leagues, for some reason, I'm channeling the late sports center anchor, Tom Meese, who, okay. um, died tragically uh in an accidental uh drowning mm. but he i somehow this guy permeated my psyche and i'm i'm almost imitating him in these early games that i've you know stuck away on audio tape that's probably dissolving over time thank god cool all right you mentioned movie already what about if a movie was made about you matt who would you want to play who would you want to play you as the lead role I mean, don't we all want Brad Pitt? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, who would play me? Maybe Jason Bateman. There you go. Uh, you know, smart-assy awesome. guy who uh, kind of stumbles around a lot and can play that character well. I'm a stumbler. There you go. And last one here. If you could go back to your 12-year-old self, what would you tell yourself? You're not going to believe this, but you can be anywhere in the world and watch any major league baseball game you want on a device that fits in the palm of your hand. And I used to, I'm a kid that at the age of 12 used to listen to baseball on the radio thinking it was the greatest thing in the world. That would have blown my mind. Awesome. That is a great answer. Okay. And I've got one last curveball for you on the final pitch question. Um, Matt, can you do me a favor? And in your best broadcast voice, say Santa Maria. The Setup Man podcast is awesome. Santa Maria, the Setup Man podcast is awesome. Matt Vaskersen, you are awesome, sir. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Setup Man podcast. I appreciate your time. All right, Kyle. See you, bud. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Matt Vaskersian. Next week is week number three of our four-week series of broadcasters. Len Casper is next up. He is the current White Sox voice of their radio station. And then he was also with the Cubs for 16 years on TV. He talks a lot about that transition. It seemed like for a lot of people, oh, you're going from the Cubs to the White Sox, you're a trader. Oh, you're going from TV to radio, you're taking a step down. Actually, for him, you'll hear where his heart was at on all of it and how it was actually a step up for him. And once again, if you are listening here before November 1st, three steps to getting your brand new Setup Man hat or shirt. Number one, review us on either Apple or Spotify or subscribe to us on YouTube and leave a comment. Number two, take a screenshot of yourself doing that. And number three, email that screenshot to Kyle at setupman.net where I'm going to go ahead and ask you for your address so I can send you that hat or shirt. Um, and of course, as I've always asked, please, if you're enjoying this show, please subscribe please review it. Yes, we've already talked about that, but please, please share with three of your friends that are also baseball fans because I know they're going to enjoy it just like you do. Well, that's going to do it for now. Set up nation. I'm going to go put my arm on ice. We'll see you next week.